As we behold the world around us, it is easy to perceive the hand of a creator who ordered all things perfectly. Nothing in this universe happened by chance because the one behind it all is a God of order and organization. He has revealed to us that angels, who live in the realms of the heavens above, work harmoniously, and the more closely we imitate their harmony and order, the more successful will be the efforts of these heavenly agents in our behalf. If we see no necessity for harmonious action and are disorderly, undisciplined, and disorganized in our work, angels, who are thoroughly organized and move in perfect order, cannot work for us successfully. They would turn away in grief, for they are not authorized to bless confusion, distraction, and disorder. God's people who have embraced the truth in its fullness find themselves in the same position as did the early Adventists in the 1850s. They share the same faith but need to come together in order to work successfully in the Lord's vineyard. Indeed, it has become evident that without some form of organization, we'll remain but independent atoms, creating confusion and preventing the work from being carried forward successfully. The Lord's army must yet again be organized upon the true foundation, following the blueprint that Christ himself has instituted. Organized to finish the work. Okay, so where possible, let us kneel in opening prayer. And what I would like is for you to pray for me, and to pray for the events, and to pray for the electronics as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful Sabbath day that you have given to us. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be able to come boldly before your throne of grace. And Father, we come before your throne of grace not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And so it is with his name and his authority that we come before your throne with a special petition that you will give us of your spirit today. Father, I pray that as we open your word, that you will lead us, that you will guide us, that we may know your thoughts here today, that you will give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Father, I pray that you will touch my lips with a call from off your altar, that I may present your thoughts through my words and my body language and my tone of voice. And I pray that you will send angels that excel in strength to watch over each and every one of us and to push the devil aside, that each one here may hear your voice unadulterated. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is entitled, Crisis and the Cure, Organized to Evangelize, because in all of the examples that I'm going to give, even though I may not point out these things in each one of the examples, but in each one of the examples you will find a crisis that arises and you will find a cure that God gives and you will find growth in the church as a result of following that which God gives. So you will find all three of those things. Now I'm going to specifically point it out in Acts chapter 6, but uh, due to time I'm not going to present all of these concepts or this point in all three of the concepts I present. And to give a brief overview, we're going to look at how God has ordered organization. Acts chapter 2 comes before Acts chapter 6, doesn't it? And Acts chapter 6 comes before Acts 15, doesn't it? Chronological. And so we need to follow these same steps as God has given to the early church. He gave these steps to the early church for a reason. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, baptism and membership. And we're not going to go into detail on any one of these points as much as I really want to. Um, I'm I'm kind of having to give an overview. So if I'm going to try to keep myself from going too deep, because then we'll go too long and then I'll have a bunch of hungry people not too happy with me. Um, And then we're going to look at Acts chapter 6, identification and ordination of local leadership. That comes after... Acts 2. And then we'll look briefly at Acts 15, delegates, ministers, and a conference. And yet again, this comes after the first two. So I'm going to be showing organization from the book of Acts as being from the bottom up, not from the top down. This is a very important concept to understand. See, when we start with Acts chapter 2, and then organize with Acts 6, and then go to Acts 15, then we're working bottom up, and we've got a proper uh, steps that we're following. But when we start with, say, Acts 15, then we're actually building from the top down. 
And that is not how God gave us the steps to follow. So we want to follow these steps as he gave them. And so I just wanted to put that out there for you right now so that you can see these points as we're going along. So with that, let's go ahead and jump right into Acts chapter 2, baptism and membership. And there's going to be certain concepts that I'm going to leave out due to time that I think everybody here should understand. Like, for example, in Acts chapter 2, the disciples were baptized with the Spirit. So I think we probably all understand that. So I'm not going to attempt to try to prove that. Um, So I'm going to try to skip over some of those things so that we can hit the broad overview. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and then we look at verse 11. Verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Verse 11 says, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Now there's something I want to bring out of this that I think is really important. They clearly were of one accord in speaking the same thing. You did not have one man over here teaching this and another man teaching this and their theologies conflicting with each other. They were not doing this. How do I know that they were not doing this? Number one, it says they were of one accord. But also, I want you to realize that the, 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 the Jewish leadership were trying to do everything they could to discredit this movement. The best thing that they could come up with was an accusation of them being drunk. That was the best thing they could come up with. Now, had these people been teaching something contrary to one another theologically, then all the Pharisees would have had to do is say, oh, you see this disciple? He's saying this, and this disciple over here, he's saying this. They are not speaking the same thing. This is not of God. Boom, that movement would have been destroyed right there. Does that make sense? That is an extremely important thing that I want to try to bring forth. If they were speaking different things, then they would not have had to come up with the bogus charge of them being drunk. So keep this Acts chapter 2 in your mind, and we're going to delve a little further into membership now. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members of one another. You see the, the repetition of member, member, member. You see that? You think he's trying to get across the point? Most definitely. We are all members of the body in Christ. That is what we are to be. Members of the body in Christ. Now, how are we in Christ and Christ in us? And again, this is a concept that I think hopefully we should each understand that this is not an entity in us and us in an entity. We are in Christ and Christ in us by spirit, right? So what happened on the day of Pentecost? They were baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit, weren't they? So this means they became members of that body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That was Romans chapter 12. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I recommend you read the whole chapter. This is really, uh, he talks about this a lot, but I'm just going to try to hit some of the high points. And I'm going to actually work backwards in the chapter. Chapter 12, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians says, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. The body clearly has membership, doesn't it? Members. Membership. If we look at verse 20 to 21, it says, But now are they many members, yet but one body. Many members, one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So I want to give an illustration. Bear with me. I'm following what's being said Um, and I know this may sound a little bit gross but again I'm following what is being said to try to illustrate this if somebody were to take my finger and dismember it with bolt cutters you take that finger and while it's still alive sew it on to a corpse what's going to happen is the the life in the finger going to bring life to the corpse no All that's going to happen is the finger that was alive is going to die because it's attached to something that has no life. And remember, so also are we. 
if we are membered to an organization that is dead, are we going to bring life to that organization? No, we are not. Now, let's take this same concept. My finger has been dismembered or disfellowshipped from my body. And let's say I go to the hospital, but by the time I get there, my finger is dead. And the hospital sews it back on anyways. What's going to happen? Infection is going to set in. Does that make sense? And gangrene is going to start moving up my arm and into my body if it's not dealt with. So what needs to happen immediately is that finger needs to be dismembered again. It needs to be taken back off so that the infection doesn't work its way up. And if it doesn't, then it's going to work its way up and I'm going to have to cut my finger at the next knuckle, right? And if I still don't deal with it, then it's going to infect my hand and I'm going to have to cut off my wrist and then my elbow and then my shoulder. And if I don't catch it by then, I'm dead, right? That gangrene is going to work all the way up and it's going to get to my heart, and it's going to kill me. So is the body of Christ. We don't want dead parts being membered to the body any more than we want living parts membered to a dead body. Does that make sense? Living uh, dead parts membered to the body can cause infection. And I've seen it over and over and over. You see issues brought up and fights begin and if it's not dealt with, more and more and more problems happen until before long there's a huge explosion. That, that infection is deepening and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Bear with me, I'm going to keep, keep explaining as we go through the scriptures though. Back up now to verse 12 to 13. It says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now that so also is Christ is important. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. How many spirits? One, one spirit. We are all baptized into one Body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. So when we're baptized into the body by the Spirit, we become members of that one body. Now I want to look more at the baptism of the Spirit now. When we, first thing to me when I think of baptism and Spirit is Matthew 28, 19. And here Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach all nations. I want you to notice that. Now verse 20, it says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So I have a question. Based on these two verses, what is supposed to be done before people are baptized? They're to be taught, right? We are to be taught. What are we to be taught? We are to be taught that which Jesus taught. Amen? Amen. Not the teachings of man, but that which Jesus taught. And when we're baptized by the Spirit, what's going to happen? John 16, 13 tells us, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. It doesn't say partially truth and partially error. It says He will lead you into all truth. What is the Spirit? The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. If we are baptized with the same Spirit, are we going to be speaking something different? No. Brother Juan brought up the thought process about carrying the ark. We are to be the people carrying the ark. Now, Corey and Thomas and I worked together uh, a while ago, and we were carrying some logs. And for the first time in my life, I was the shortest person. (laughs) But normally, you know, when I'm carrying something like that with somebody else, I'm down here, you know, really putting it into my legs. And this time I'm like, guys, guys. But we're carrying these logs, right? These logs get heavy. 
What were to happen if all three of us were to decide, you know what, I'm going to go my own way without communicating anything to the other two? You're not going to continue to carry the log, are you? You may end up leaving it with some one person, and that's going to be too much for that one person to handle. And if, if all three of us are trying to go different directions, it's going to be confusion. And, and the logs are never going to get put where they're supposed to get put. So also, with the ark, as God's people, when we're carrying that ark, we can't just be going whichever direction we feel like going. This needs to be a group effort. Does that make sense? We all need to be walking together. Now here's another concept I want to bring out of this. I hadn't plan- planned on bringing this up, but Juan brought a beautiful opportunity for me here. When you're carrying something heavy over and over, you're carrying it for long distance, and there's multiple people carrying that one thing and it's rigid, it doesn't move. Have you ever noticed that if you're not walking in lockstep with the person in front of you, that item starts to rub your shoulder because you're not going at the same pace that everybody else is or at the same step. It starts to rub and it starts to hurt. So not only can we not be going whatever direction we feel like going, but we need to actually walk, lock, step with one another. Amen? Amen? So when we carry that ark, we need to be walking, lock, step with one another. We need to be of one accord speaking the same thing. Amen? Amen? You see where this is going. Do you see what happened on the day of Pentecost? This is what we need as well. This needs to take place as one of the first steps in organization. When we're baptized into the body of Christ as members of that body, we are to be of one accord speaking the same truth. If we're speaking the same truth, then it should be recognized that we as member, we are members of the same body. Does that make sense? Same truth, same body. If we're not speaking the same truth, then it should be recognized we're not members of the same body. This also makes sense, right? Different truth, we're we're different body. Anything else would bring confusion to the body and the world. Because if we're speaking different truths, then we have different spirits. Because remember, it's the spirit that baptizes us. And it's the spirit of truth. And if we're speaking different truths, then it must be a different spirit that baptized us. Does that make sense? And if we have different spirits yet a part of the body of Christ, then we are ultimately saying that Christ has multiple spirits. I want you to think about this concept. Why is it that Trinitarianism has no problems with ecumenism? Because they teach one body, multiple spirits. Multiple intelligences. It's okay to be a part of the one body and saying something different. It has no problems with ecumenism. But once we understand the Father and Son, we should recognize this isn't the case. There isn't one body with three intelligences up there. We've got the Father and the Son of one spirit. So, I can hear people claiming creed. So I want to try to touch on this because... I know that this is an issue. And because it's an issue, I want to try to deal with this as much as I can before I continue on. Otherwise, I know that people's minds are going to get stuck back here and not be able to go forward. So you may say, wait, now wait a minute. You're teaching the use of a creed and the pioneers said we have no creed. But I want to look at that. Seventh-day Adventists have no creed. And this is, if you want this, Uh, uh, PHM prints this. This is the 1889 Fundamental Principles. PHM is, it's the one that PHM prints. Um, And so this is what I'm quoting from. And it it says, Seventh-day Adventists have no creed. But you know, something I I heard a while ago, and, and it makes complete sense, is if there's a period, what do you do? You stop. If there's no period, do you stop? No. You know what? There's no period. So let's not stop. What it says is Seventh-day Adventists have no creed but the Bible. 
Now, if I were to work, walk into a dark room and say, I have no light but my flashlight, but my phone, what am I saying? I'm saying my phone is the light that I'm going to use, right? So when they say Seventh-day Adventists have no creed but the Bible, what they're saying is they do have a creed, and that creed is the Bible. Amen. That creed is not man-made, Amen. but it's the Bible. Amen. But see, friends, this is the point that I want to try to get across. The only way that you can say that you have no creed is to believe nothing. That's the only way you can say you have no creed. A creed simply is what you believe. You, you really have to choose man's creed or God's creed. Those are the two options. And to say you have no creed really means you have no belief. There's nothing. But I want to try to further clarify this. Friends, it isn't the creed that is the issue. I realize that most of us here, probably all of us, have had bad experiences with a creed. And I won't go into mine, but I was threatened. That's how bad it was. Uh, my, so I won't go into my testimony here. But number one, it was man's creed. That was the problem. And number two, it was how the creed was used that was the problem. So let me emphasize this. It isn't the creed that is the issue. It's how it's used that is the issue. Guns are used to stop more crimes than they are used to commit. Is it the gun that is the issue or is it the individual using the gun that is the issue? You see what I'm saying? You can live to eat or you can eat to live. Now the person that, eat, uh, that lives to eat, is it the food's fault? No. It's not the issue with the food, it's the issue with the individual that's eating the food. Does that make sense? TVs can be used to put forth lies or they can be used to put forth truth. What are you going to do with it? That is the question. The problem is not with the creed itself. The problem is what are you doing with it? How are you handling it? Are you walking around beating people over the head with it? Or are you simply saying, this is what I believe? Now, if you don't agree, then no problem. That's between you and God. But that means that on that topic, we're not going the same direction. But if you do agree, and you agree with the other things that we put out, then by all means, let's join arms, let's link arms, let's work together to get the job done. Amen? We're not trying to force anybody to believe what we believe when we put material out. The point is to put it out there so that we can find others that believe like us. So that we can continue moving forward doing the work with more and more people and exponentially create a louder and louder voice to get the gospel message to the world. Amen? So I wanted to try to clarify the creed thing. Is there a creed? Yes, there is a creed. Our creed is the Bible. We try not to have a man-made creed. And I think we've all recognized that at one point or another, we thought our creed was the Bible, but we found out it was man-made, right? So that's why it's important for us to study. But I want to try to make that point, that the reason we put information out is so that everybody can analyze it and decide for themselves. Do I agree with that? If so, great. Let's join up and let's move forward organized, in harmony, professing the three angels' messages to, to a dead and dying world. Amen? So let's move on to Acts chapter 6. Identification and ordination of local leadership. And before we can get to this point, we need to have gone through membership and baptism of the Spirit. Now we can deal with identification and ordination of local leadership. Now, we're going to look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, and I'm going to comment on each verse as we go along. Acts 6, verse 1, the first part of verse 1 says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. Now, the first thing I want to point out is people were leaving the apostate remnant and coming into the true remnant in droves. Does that make sense? You see that according to this verse? It's pretty clear. They multiplied. Well, where are they coming from? Apostate remnants. Because that's who they were preaching to at the time. The other thing I want you to remember is I want you to remember the phraseology. It says the disciples, were, uh, they were multiplied. We're going to come back to this word in a few minutes. 
But there was a crisis. The second part of verse 1 says, There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. A crisis arose. They were in danger of division and disunion. What is the answer? Verse 2, organization. Verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So here in verse 2, they held a local church conference of members, not delegates, and not just anybody that attended, but members. And they made a decision. What did they, what did they decide? Verse 3 tells us, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So what they all decided to do was ordain people to help. Now let's go to verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now the purpose of a minister is not to be leading local board meetings or dealing with the finances, but to the ministry of the Word. A minister is not to be administration at the local level. It would just be simply too much. And so what ends up happening is the leadership of spreading the gospel starts to get quelled by daily duties of administration. And that's not what is supposed to happen. And so the ministers recognized that they were getting weighed down by daily administrative stuff. And they said, you know what, guys, this isn't going to work. Let's find somebody else. I want, to, I want you to notice this, how this worked. It was not the ministers that said, you, you, and you, we're going to ordain you and you're going to do this. That's not how it worked, is it? They said, this is what we need, and find seven people, in this case, seven people full of the Holy Spirit that fit the qualifications, and bring them to us. And so from there, the ministers look at the individual and compare them with the qualifications of the Bible. And if they don't fit, the minister says, I'm sorry, this person didn't fit and here's why. Can you send me somebody else? So there's a beautiful check and balance built in. God built this in. Beautiful checks and balances. But if they do fit, the minister looks at that and says, okay, they fit. I'm going to ordain them. So... There's beautiful checks and balances. And again, I would so love to go deeper into this topic, but I've got to keep going. So let's look at verse 5, the first part. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So, brothers and sisters, it says, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. We want gospel order. We were intended for gospel order. Why? Because as Brother Juan pointed out, there is order in heaven. God created us with that need for order. People want order. Have you ever been in a chaotic situation? You just, after a while, you just got, I got to get out of here. It's too much. And so is the same in God's body, the body of Christ. There must be order, and people want order. When you find order, you walk in and you go, Ah, this is beautiful. And those that don't want, when they walk in and find order and go, Oh, I can't take this. Why? Because they are now limited to following the body. And there are some people, they just don't want to follow the body. And I get to raise my hand. I am an independent type of person. It's not easy submitting myself to the brethren. It's not easy to do that. There have been times where I'm like, oh, I want to preach this, and everybody's like, whoa, there, let's slow down. I'm like, okay, okay, you know, let's, just give me the word. Just give me the word. But it's not easy to do that. But there is to be order. And we want order. Verse 6 says, whom they set before, and I, I didn't finish verse 5, it just goes through the rest of the names of the people. Verse 6, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. This, brothers and sisters, cannot happen without gospel order. The people recognized the apostles as having the authority to do this as well. It's not that the apostles said and forced people. It's that the people recognized them 
as leaders. That's why they had their authority. But they had the authority to do this. Now, now comes the the more exciting stuff. Verse 7. And when the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Brothers and sisters, verse 7 is the result of gospel order. The devil is trying to stop the forward progression of the church by bringing about divisions, disunion, and factions. And the answer, the cure to the crisis, was gospel order. Gospel order is the recognition of leadership and the ordination of local leaders. It is the organization of the people for the work. I want you to notice that in verse 1 it says the disciples were multiplied. They were being multiplied. And then verses 2 through 6, they went through another step of gospel order. And then what directly followed? They multiplied greatly. What happened between multiplication and great multiplication? Gospel order. There's a lot of people, or uh, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe you might have this question. Why isn't PHM reaching the world? Why aren't we reaching out to the world right now in our videos and, and, and different things? Gospel order is why we are not focusing that direction right now. Because we understand that the first thing that needs to be done is order and organization. If we do not follow the process that God has given for gospel order and organization, then what is going to happen? All we are going to do is sit here and multiply. And that's good, but you know what, brothers and sisters, the world is also multiplying. The question is, are we going to keep up our multiplication with the world's multiplication? No, not really. We have to go through order and organization, and then we can multiply greatly. Do you want to multiply greatly? The answer to that is gospel order. And so once we get organization worked out and we start implementing, it will happen naturally. We will start going to the world. You will start going to the world. Why? I want, I want, I want you to think about this concept. Remember I talked about uh, gospel order as something that we need? Have you ever been in a house where it's total and complete chaos? The kids are yelling at the parents. The parents are yelling at the kids. The TV's going full blast. The radio's going. You walk in and you're just like, whoa. You ever, you ever been in that situation? Now, if I were asked, would I allow my child to spend the night or spend several days in that situation? I would say, I don't think so. Number one, I don't want my child coming home picking up those bad habits of yelling at the parents. I don't want my child being in that kind of an environment. You know what? As much as we love our children, God loves His children too. There are many sheep that He has that are not of this fold. But they are still there. Why? Because we are in chaos. He doesn't want His children coming into this chaos any more than you want your child going into that chaos. There must be gospel order. When there is gospel order, then God will open up the floodgates and He will start leading His sheep into this fold. Amen? Amen. So in order to get to those sheep, we need to have a safe place for them to come. Otherwise, that will be spiritual suicide, bringing them in to a situation with no order and organization. And I don't know about you, but I don't want that to happen. Acts of the Apostles 88.2 The disciples of Jesus had reached a crisis in their experience. She's talking about Acts chapter 6. Under the wise leadership of the apostles who labored unitedly in the power of the Holy Spirit. You notice they were laboring, what? Unitedly. In the power of themselves? The Holy Spirit. The work committed to the gospel messengers was developing rapidly. The church was continually enlarging and its growth and membership brought increasingly heavy burdens upon those in charge. No one man or even one set of men could continue to bear these burdens alone without imperiling the future prosperity of the church. I want you to notice that. 
the future prosperity of the church was in peril. There was necessity for a further distribution of the responsibilities which had been borne so far, so faithfully, by a few during the earlier days of the church. The apostles must now take an important step in perfecting of gospel order in the church by laying upon others some of the burdens thus far borne by themselves. The church was in danger if they did not go on and perfect gospel order. Do you think gospel order is important? Amen. Amen. If we want to protect the church, if we want God's church to go forward to the world as it has ultimately been called to do, then we must recognize gospel order and its importance. So how does this apply to today? Notice that she says that uh, no one man or even one set of men can continue to bear uh, these burdens alone without imperiling the future prosperity of the church. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of cowboys out there. There's a lot of cowboys out there, and they want to do it their own way. But this is not according to the Word of God, but according to the Word of the devil, isn't it? I know that may sound harsh, but that's the way it is, according to the Word of God. This is, this is important that we understand this. This is very important to understand this. There must be a recognition of who is and who is not worthy of representing the Church of Christ as well. So let's look now. And and once you understand these first two, these two concepts, it is actually very simple. Once you understand the the membership, baptism and membership, and then the, the uh, the identification and ordination of local leadership, You raise a church, a local church, and this is the process you go through. And then you raise another local church, you go through the exact same process. Then you raise another local church, you go through the exact same process, right? So what do you do now to get all these churches to work in harmony? Because what you've done with the church is you've got these individuals to work in harmony. Now how do you get the churches to work in harmony? You follow the exact same process. It's actually really simple. It's really simple. This system is can be built upon unlimitedly. The more people you get, the more you just simply do this. And we'll go into that here now. Acts chapter 15, delegates, ministers, and a conference. But remember, before you can get this far, you've got to go through Acts 2 and Acts 6 first. So Acts 15, verse 1 and 2, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them, I want you to catch that, and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. So there were Jewish men that were seen as as leaders and teachers. And a theological error, they were teaching a theological error. You know what happened? This brought confusion and dissension, right? This is why it's so important that we speak the same thing. Because when we don't, it brings confusion and dissension. It brings infection into the church, is what it does. So this brought confusion and dissension among the body, Now remember again that the body is made up of members. Now, I want you to notice also that this wasn't just the ministers that were sent to this conference. I want that's important. That's the number one concept I want you to get out of this verse, out of these two verses. It wasn't just the ministers that were sent to this conference. It was, quote, certain other of them that were sent. Now we don't know who they were. They're not named. But the fact is, that there were still certain others that were sent. In other words, there were some local church members that were recognized as leaders that were delegated to to attend this conference also. They were chosen to go by the people with Paul and Barnabas. Why? Because Paul and Barnabas weren't a part of that local group. Paul and Barnabas were ministers. They were raising up churches here, there, and yonder. So they weren't technically a part of that local group. That local group wanted to be represented. Is that fair? Absolutely that's fair. So therefore they sent a delegate or delegates. It says certain other of them, so evidently more than one. 
they sent delegates with Paul and Barnabas to represent that group. Go to verse 6. And the, apostle, and, and the other verses, they're just talking about them traveling on their way, basically. Verse 6, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. Notice it says apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. So this isn't just the ministers. It includes elders, or you could say delegates, from that area also. Do you, do you see the picture that's being painted here? You've got delegates and ministers coming together to make some decisions. Let's jump to verse 19 and 20, first part of 20. Wherefore my sentence is, this is James speaking, that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them. So James now gives a proclamation. And I want to try to clear this up because this has been misunderstood by some. And I want to make the point that James was no, no more the, the Pope or the director or the president here than Peter was on the day of Pentecost. Hey, I want to bring that up. It's not one man saying, this is what you are going to believe. I've gathered all the information that you can bring to me, and now I've made a decision that you are going to believe this. That's not what was going on. What was going on here is that James was simply, just like Peter, was the spokesperson for the group. In other words, Peter, uh, James was the chairman. There needs to be order in these things as well. You've got to have a chairman. Not somebody who's, who's got a better vote than anybody else, or more votes than anybody else, but somebody who can organize these things and keep order in the house. You, you ever been to a board meeting when, where... where the, the, the chairman was not strong. Yeah, that, that, nothing gets anywhere, right? And finally, you just get to the point where I'm not even going to go to those meetings anymore. We don't ever get anything done. So there needs to be a chairman. But that chairman doesn't have any greater vote than anybody else. So I would really want to try to bring that forward. Verse 22. Chapter 15, verse 22. Then, it, then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church. So I want to bring out another point here, another concept. Uh, uh, number one, again, it was the group that made the decision and not one individual. It was the group. The burden of this was spread out among all those that were recognized as leaders by the membership. Does that make sense? Notice also that the delegates included their constituents or members in the decision where communication was possible. You notice it says, then it pleased the apostles and the elders. It was these two that were in the meeting, that were in the conference. The church wasn't in the conference. But you notice it says that the whole church was pleased as well. Well, how would the whole church be pleased if their delegates weren't communicating with them? You see what I'm saying? So what is very clearly going on is during this discussion, the delegates somehow, in some way, are communicating with the church that they're representing. Now, obviously, the delegates that came with Paul and Bartimus weren't communicating with that church. I mean, they weren't sending runners back and forth. This would have taken months to do if that were the case. But that group recognized these men as understanding the issue that had been brought up and so they said, just go represent us. But you know what? We don't have that excuse today. A delegate can communicate with their church in, in, in China like that today, right? So the point I want to bring forth is this. The delegates do not represent themselves in these meetings. They represent the members that voted to send them. Delegates do not vote their own opinion. They are to vote that which the majority of their membership votes, even if they are in the minority. And see, friends, this is again why membership on the same ground is so important. It's so important. If you've got a church over here who's very, and I hate to use these words, but it's the best way that I know to express this, very conservative and they're protective of that which God gave, the standards that God gave. Now, they're not going to have a whole lot of people flooding in, probably. But then, you, let's say you've got a group over here 
they're watering down the message. They're up there with the, with the heavy metal and, and you know, all this stuff going on from the fronts. Well, they're going to get all kinds of people in, right? So what's going to happen is this group's only going to have one delegate because they're so small, and this group's going to have all kinds of delegates. Well, now you've got this group that's watering down the message having more authority in the conference. You, you see the problem here? This is why it is so important that all the churches be built on the same foundation. Does that make sense? Because I, I know that when you first look at that, it's like, now wait a minute, I, you're not allowing any freedom here. Well, the reason for these things is, again, so that things are fair. And if you don't do that, then what happens is the church starts to vote that it doesn't want to be called a cult, so it brings in the Trinity doctrine, and it brings in a single atonement, and a false nature of Christ, and sin, and so on and so forth. You see what I'm saying? You've got to be careful with that. So I know I've given you a lot of information. And I know I've already overloaded you. And you are going to be loaded some more as we go on. So again, watch the videos. Go back to these videos, review, watch them again and again and again. There's going to be lots of information presented. And you're going to want all of this information to retain. And it's going to take more than one time. I'm going to review these videos as well because it's going to take more than one time. So I want to give a closing summary of what I've presented. The biblical example of organizational steps. Baptism and membership comes first. We are to be of one accord of the same spirit accepting the teachings of Jesus. And all three of those things are saying the same thing. Being of one accord is the same as accepting the teachings of Jesus. It's the same as of the same Spirit. You see what I'm saying? I just want to say it multiple ways so that we understand. Step one, baptism and membership. Step two, identification and ordination of local leadership. This is the answer to division and disunion. And its exponential growth will happen as a result, is what we saw, of organization. You want the message to go to the world? We must get organized. And then step three, delegates, ministers, and a conference. A conference is made up of ministers and delegates. It's not a hierarchical organization. And delegates vote the membership majority decision, not their own opinion. So the delegate represents that body and what that body's chosen to do. The object of organization is to join like-minded believer to like-minded believer. Not just anybody. And if people don't want to be a part, I understand. If we're not going the same direction, it's better not to be a part. Does that make sense? That's why we're putting this information out there to find out who's going the same direction and who's not. So the object of organization is to join like-minded believer to like-minded believer in a church organization for the purpose of working together to finish the work. You then take like-minded church and join it with like-minded church through its delegates for the purpose of working together in harmony to finish the work. It's the same process. You then do the same with conferences, unions, divisions, whatever you want to call them. It's actually a very simple and indefinitely scalable way of working together in such a way that every member has a voice. Amen? It's, it's really simple. It's not complex. When you study it in the Word of God and in the pioneers, it really jumps at you. And it's very, very simple. Brothers and sisters, we are in a crisis Look at the movement today. Is it not in a crisis? Does anybody think it's not in a crisis? Yeah, I didn't think so. Anybody who looks out there is going to say, this is, this is a problem, right? We are in a crisis. And the cure, according to the Word of God, is organization, which will result in exponential growth 
we will stop multiplying and start multiplying greatly. Which means exponential voices proclaiming the gospel. And when we have exponential voices proclaiming the gospel, what happens? Jesus comes. Matthew 24, 14. That means we have the decision. Do we want Jesus to come soon? Amen. I think if we do, then we should recognize we need organization so that we can start marching in lockstep, proclaiming the gospel to a dead and dying world. Organized to evangelize. Now I have a question for you. I have an appeal. Are you willing to take these steps of organization? If you're willing, I want to see your hand. If you're willing to take these steps of organization, amen. I love it. Before we can ultimately stand up for Jesus, we must kneel before the throne. So where possible, let's kneel. Heavenly Father, we again come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you, Father, for the word that you have given to us. We thank you for the clarity in your word. Father, I pray that you will give us strength to walk forward in organization as you have laid out in your word. Father, we want Jesus to come soon. And the way for us to multiply greatly is gospel order. Father, I pray that you will help us to walk lockstep with one another, that you will baptize us with your spirit, that we may all be presenting the same truth, that we may perfectly represent Christ to the world, that we may be able to give that loud cry to a dead and dying world. Father, I pray also that you will fill each and every one of us with your spirit, so fully with your spirit that people no longer see us, but instead they see Christ in us. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth Pioneer Health and Missions